covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Really appreciate you being with us as we've got another hour or so worth of uh, Brewers talk coming your way. Our normal housekeeping items to uh, take care of here at the top of the program. A special hello to everybody who is listening to this podcast via 540 ESPN. It gets aired part of uh, Doug Russell's uh, uh, Pod Center program, which runs in the afternoons from 3 o'clock to uh, 6 o'clock. I think this may even run a couple times over the course of the week, depending on the week. So a special hello to uh, everybody listening there. Uh, if you do want to be able to download the podcast and listen uh, just whenever you want to, you can do so by uh, finding it on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or going to WTMJ.com and going to uh, the WTMJ mobile podcast area, and you'll see everything that's there. If you do listen on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, would really appreciate uh, you subscribing to the podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts and want to leave a ranking and review, that'd be fantastic. Also, you can always get in contact with me by finding me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. Here's what we've got coming up on the program this week. Scott Warris is going to join us. WTMJ's Scott Warris is going to join us coming up in uh, just a few minutes. Now, I do need to warn you ahead of time when it comes to my conversation with Scott. We recorded the conversation prior to the Saturday game of the Washington series. So when we were recording that, we were coming off uh, watching and seeing in the most recent game uh, that we had seen was, and then taken place was the Friday night game against the Nationals where the Brewers lost 2-1. Obviously, things changed in a pretty major way on Saturday and Sunday. So I'm just throwing that at you when you listen to that interview. Keep that in mind of when we actually recorded it. And also Garrett Green, the broadcaster for the Brewers AA affiliate, the Biloxi Shuckers, who are just killing it recently. He is going to join us uh, later on in the podcast as well. It's kind of hard to how to figure out the, the the past week's worth of baseball. You know, you go to the Texas series; uh, they played two pretty solid games against the Rangers, and then in the third game of that series, they just got absolutely shut down by a guy and Mike Miner who went eight shutout innings, and that was kind of one of your tip your cap games. Um, then they get set for the, the Minnesota series, and you felt like they let one get away in game one of that series, but then you felt like they stole one in game two of the series. So, you know, baseball always tends to even itself out. And then you get to the Washington series, where in the first game they lose 2-1, and it's another time where the Brewers hitting with runners in scoring position just does not do the job. They go two for 10 and leave 13 runners on base. And all of a sudden, just a snap of the finger, you have the Saturday and Sunday games where the ball is just flying out like crazy for both teams. A 15-14 win in 14 innings on Saturday. And then a 16 to 8 loss on Sunday in a game that they were down by a 13 nothing score uh, before they finally uh, got on the board and, and put some runs up it's kind of hard to to look at all this and and really wrap your arms around what all happened now I'll say this 
Brewer starting pitching had been doing a really, really solid job. Uh, even the Saturday game, the overall numbers for Jordan Lyles didn't look great. Uh, but when you watched the game, you didn't feel like he pitched horribly, even though he went only four innings, allowing five runs on seven hits. But it was a really rough day, really rough day on Sunday for Chase Anderson. And Anderson had been fantastic. He had a sub-3 ERA since the All-Star break, a sub-2 ERA in the month of August going into that uh, going into that start. And Craig Council a lot of times talks about the run-scoring environment, and it just felt like, for whatever reason, those two games in Washington, the run-scoring environment was one where a ton of runs were going to be scored and a lot of home runs were going to be hit. So here's what I've just been trying to kind of figure out for myself reflecting back on these two games from a from a pitching standpoint your initial reaction is to say okay pitching has been doing a really nice job recently for whatever reason it was just crazy on Saturday and Sunday it was that way for both teams uh, they're going to be able to lock back in and you know, once they get into a more normal environment. So that's one way, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's kind of one way to look at it, but if you're going to look at it that way, then I think you also have to apply that same standard to what the team did from an offensive standpoint because the team had been struggling from that offensive standpoint. And if you're going to kind of discount all the runs that were scoring from a pitching perspective, to be fair, you kind of have to do that from a hitting perspective as well. And that's what I'm going to be watching moving forward. You know, we had Jim Goulart on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And I remember saying to him, because we were talking about what has to happen for this team to go on a run and get into the postseason. And my thought process was the pitching had to keep doing what it was doing and the hitting had to take a big step forward. That, That was something that we said two weeks ago. I still stand by that. I remember saying to Jim, you know, if the hitting takes a step forward, but then the pitching goes back to looking kind of the way it was in some of the low moments of the year, that's probably a wrap. Like, they they need solid hitting, and they need solid pitching, and they need both things to be happening at the exact same time, and they need that for the vast majority of the rest of the season. And if they can get that, well, they're going to be a playoff team. So I don't know. You know, Craig Council was interesting in his postgame comments on Sunday. He was he was very optimistic. He was very confident that the team, from a hitting standpoint, that this weekend in Washington, specifically the Saturday and Sunday games, were really going to be a jumping-off point for what the team was going to be able to do offensively for the rest of the season. If that's true, that's great. We just need to wait and see what's going to end up happening. And they have such a important stretch of games coming up this upcoming week. Three at St. Louis and then three home against Arizona. You're contending against St. Louis for both the division and the wild card. Contending against Arizona for the wild card. Although it seems like they've fallen back a little bit, but they're still in there. Uh, then you're home against St. Louis and then you're at the Cubs. Those are those are the next four series. And I'm recording this on Sunday night. St. Louis, Arizona, St. Louis, Chicago are the next four series. And I don't think you can play yourself into the postseason in those games, but you might be able to play yourself out. And that's the thing that they can't do. You know, sitting two games back of St. Louis going in that series, you go get swept in St. Louis, all of a sudden you're five games out. Not that it's impossible, but man, it's tough. 
It's really tough. You got to go on one heck of a run at that point in time. So some vitally, vitally, vitally important games uh, coming up for the Brewers moving forward. Again, on this uh, week's uh, podcast, we are going to have uh, the broadcaster for the Double A Biloxi Shuckers, Garrett Green. He is scheduled to uh, join us in uh, just a few moments. But first, let's get to uh, this week's social media conversation, which is ironic that we bring on Scott Wars because he doesn't even have Twitter, but he monitors social media. He's a social guy. I enjoy bringing him on the podcast. WTMJ Scott Wars, good to join us here in just a moment. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. You know, the first time we had this guy on, I actually got some feedback from people saying they enjoyed the conversation. You had one person write you an email. So instead of just leaving well enough alone, we're bringing him back onto the podcast. He is WTMJ's Scott Warris. You can hear him with the Scott Warris Radio Extravaganza, Saturdays from 4 to 6, uh, and then filling in for folks like Jeff Wagner and Steve Scafidi oh. and doing the WTMJ Nights program. Oh. All kinds of stuff. Oh. Hi, Scott. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere. Anywhere and everywhere, radio horror. Wow. There you go. We can edit that. No, we'll, we'll leave that in. It's podcasting, man. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> Although they do run this on 540 uh, on like Mondays and Wednesdays, I think. It okay. ends up on 540 for a while. Well, we'll bleep that. So hello, radio listeners. hello to everybody listening on 540 ESPN. And just to be clear, we are recording this prior to... The Saturday game of the National Series. So they lost the first game by a 2-1 score. By the time you're listening to this, the series will be over. So we don't know what's going to happen in games two and three of the series. Hopefully the Brewers take two of three. But that being said, an issue that has exi- that has been with this team really from the start of the year is the ability to hit with runners in scoring position. And man, was that magnified on Friday night when they just got a spectacular start from Adrian Hauser. I think they go two for 12 with runners in scoring position, leave 13 runners on base. And it's just hard to believe that unless they find a way to turn this around, that this team is going to be a playoff team. It's one of those stats that has been there from the beginning. They have been, and you may know better than I, but they have been bottom third, bottom quarter in the National League when it comes to hitting with runners in scoring position all season long. And it's frustrating because of what it means or what it doesn't mean for the ultimate outcome based on what the pitching staff has done. And we're watching this starting rotation that is somehow allowing the team to be in games and should be winning games with guys that were nowhere near the starting rotation when the season started, and the bats are letting them down. I didn't anticipate this happening. No. I just I did not see this coming. I mean, I thought, you know, over the course of 162, you have good stretches, you have bad stretches, you have mediocre stretches. But let's be honest. I mean, the bats have just not been reliable at all this year, even for a decent stretch of time, it seems. Friend of the podcast, Kyle Lesneski from Brew Crew Ball. FOP. Tweeting out uh, on Saturday these numbers. Uh, Brewers overall since May 20th are hitting 248 as a team. Brewers since May 20th with runners in scoring position hitting 220. 220 since May 20th with runners in scoring position. That's a lot more than a, a tiny sample size. Do you know what I would be curious to know is take Christian Yelich out 
and tell me what those numbers are. I can't he, do that on he, the fly. I know, I but yeah, no, it's a good point by but you. He can't. Uh, he he has been he has been their offense. And you look you, okay. So so who is not living up to their muster? Who is not living up to the expectations that we had for them? I think Lorenzo Cain is the first. Lorenzo Cain, but I I don't want to say I give him a pass, but he just seems to have been he's been banged up all year. He's got to be hurt. It's one thing. It's another. He's fouling balls off his knee, off his shin, running into walls. He hasn't been healthy. Most of this year, and God bless him for what he's given you, especially defensively. Right. He saves you some runs, so in my mind, I can somewhat reconcile if he has an off year with the bat. But here's the question I have about Kane: Why is it that his eye at the plate is not nearly as as patient as it was last year? He's not taking nearly as many pitches as last year. He drew so many walks last year, put together so many elongated at bats, where you came away going, "Man, this guy's." IQ at pitches in and out of the strike zone is off the chart. Now, is that just frustration? Yeah, a frustrating I think it is. season. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's what it's got to be, right? That's the one. That's the only answer I can come up with. You know, sometimes when there's only one answer, then that's the answer. But for a veteran like that, I I, I would like to think that there might be more more of him th- more of him being able to put together patient at bats regardless of frustration but I, everybody's human okay so so that's kane braun has been okay yeah braun is not a guy where i think that's the reason for their woes with runners in scoring position i've been okay with ryan braun and we've talked before matt i have very every year and moving forward i have very low expectations for braun but he's been okay the overall numbers for most of the guys in the lineup, like we can go look at a Mike Moustakis and a Yasmani yeah. Grandal, and we can say overall numbers are fine. Maybe they're not quite where you wanted to be. Grandal is actually statistically having one of the better years of his career, but the problem comes in those clutch moments. Although post-All-Star break, Grandal has not been what pre-All-Star break, no, that's Grandal. Fair. I mean, he's kind of you know, trailed off in that regard. So what is it? I mean, how do, how do you explain a team collectively – that cannot hit with runners in scoring position because then you play the what if game and gosh what what if they were hitting 10 15 points higher you don't have to be leading the league necessarily but when you're getting the pitching performances that you are man what if if they were hitting the same with runners in scoring position what they were all, all overall again again the number since May 20th they're a 248 team and about 220 with runners in scoring position so if they're hitting maybe not even 248 if they're hitting 235, you know, 10 or so more points with runners in scoring position. If those hits come in the right moments, this team could have five, six more wins. I, I don't think, I, I know it's easy to be, to make things bigger than they are. I don't think I'm overstating things when I say that. No. And you would tell me if I was. I, oh, yeah. You better believe <laughs> it. <clears throat> you better believe it. Have you heard any calls for the hitting coach? Because that, that seems to be kind of a default setting for a lot of fans when the team isn't. You know, performing offensively like they feel. I really haven't heard anything like that. I, occasionally, I get a call on the post game show. It's okay. I, it's not the calls that I get about Chris Hook. But you know, uh, again, going back to the Friday night game, immediately after that game ends, I'm getting text messages about the bullpen because the Nationals scored that run in the what was it the eighth inning when Junior Guerra came in right. and gave up a run and. For, for whatever reason, there's a, there's a really solid part of this fan base 
that will not get past the pitching and cannot accept the fact that pitching is actually doing a pretty solid job. You give up two runs over nine innings, and I'm getting messages about how the bullpen let down, and it's just the the, the offense didn't do their job. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it would have been great if Junior Garrett didn't give up that run. I, I'm not trying to give him a free pass here, but you should be able to give up two runs and still win a ballgame. Why do you think that is? I, I mean, why, why is it that, that this fan base in some ways defaults, at least right now in this period of Brewers baseball, in this year? Because I think it, it, you know, there, there have been years where people have gotten on the offense and different batters for not carrying their weight, and you can kind of make that case legitimately, as we've already talked about. But why do you think it's this year it's the pitching staff that seems to be the, the lightning rod? I think it's a combination of things. First off, I think Derek Johnson was a beloved pitching coach by the fan base, and when he went away, people are almost looking for Chris Hook to fail. So you start blaming the pitching a little bit, and then you go back to Chris Hook. I think the second thing is the narrative in that the, you know, the, there's not a single pitcher in the rotation uh, that was in the rotation when the season got started. That will change when Zach Davies comes off the injured list this upcoming week. But as it sits, nobody in there. was So, so there's this feeling that it was a failure of the rotation because nobody's in there now. And then the, the name recognition is part of it. And then the third thing is I think people were frustrated that the Brewers did not go get a top-tier starter at the deadline. So therefore, again, there's this internal narrative that the pitching is not doing their job. Let me add another one. Okay. You listed three right there. Let me add a fourth or a fifth. Did you list four? I don't know. I just... <laughs> I'm going to add another addendum. Last year, Brewers fans spoiled. What that bullpen did over 162 and specifically in September and in October to have the luxury and the effectiveness of, the, of Knable, Hader, Jeffress, and any other order, whichever way was going to work for a given night. I think we were kind of spoiled in that respect. I mean, that, that, was, that was so unique, certainly to, to this fan base and to this team when you look at the history of the Milwaukee Brewers organization. And I think a lot of people thought, well, look, Hater's back next year, meaning 2019. Jeffress is coming back in 2019. And Knable, although the injury obviously in spring training and it's over, but all those guys are coming back. And yet in people's minds, you think, I mean, Hater, we can get into Hater, why he is not performing at the level that he was last year and why he's struggling a little bit more than he was last year. Jeffress is just a guy. I mean, it's, it, there's nothing special about Jeremy Jeffress this year, right? I mean, he's had, he's had moments. Overall, it seems like he's trending in the right direction right okay. now. I'll give him that. That's fine. Yeah. But anyway, I think in large part, after last year, when that season was really carried by Yelich and the bullpen. I mean, if there, if there were two elements, if you had to narrow it down, it was Yelich and it was the bullpen, specifically those three guys on the back end. But Brewers fans were really spoiled. And to think that the next year, well, they're just going to do it again. That bullpen will be the strength. Those three guys are back. Well, Canable injured. No. Jeffress took him a while to get going, and we'll see if he does ultimately get going consistently. And Hader has not been as historically, and people were, I think, um, um, pretty spoiled with Hader as well. And that was historic what he did yeah. last year. And to think that you can, any pitcher, as great, maybe he'll be a Hall of Famer one day, but even the Hall of Fame pitchers, if they can put together historic year after historic year, that's really tough to do. He's still a great pitcher. He'll still be a really effective pitcher. But to be able to follow up a historically good season with another historically good season, that was unrealistic. So I would put 
that as another one. That's fair. I get frustrated with people who call and say that Josh Hader's turning into Derek Turnbow. Yeah. And the, I heard the, one of those calls last week. I think the thing that frustrates me the most is when you look at Hader, he's still getting a lot of swings and misses. There's a lot of strikeouts, there's a lot of swings and misses, and hitters do not have a good batting average against him. Now, it's, as I've thought about this more and more, I actually think it's really simple with Hader right now. He's missing low. Location. He's just missing low, and he needs to work high in the zone, and he needs to just, he, he should be nowhere near the bottom of the zone. It's not about, a lot of people say, you know, it's about throwing the breaking ball for a strike to keep batters off guard. He could throw nothing but fastballs for the rest of his career, and if he's hitting his location, he'd still be respectable. It's nice to be able to throw something in every once in a while, but that's he's he's missing low, and that's that's the issue right now. This is not a Derek Turnbow. This is not a guy that all of a sudden t- batters out there can just completely see and hit him. Like he's not being hit that hard. It's just when he is hit, it happens to go pretty far. And I think there has to be something said for the fact that this is year two, in essence, a full season, round two of Josh Hader in the major leagues. And when you're – people seem to – I feel as if fans don't give enough credit to the opponent when necessary. Yeah. These are major league hitters with major league hitting coaches and video and, and every possible – diagnostic way to go about getting ready for an at-bat against any other pitcher. Last year, the information on who this Josh Hader got, it wasn't there. As the season goes on, you get more video, you can prepare to some extent, but sometimes for a lot of guys, it takes being in the box against Hader or any pitcher to truly learn what it takes to be successful against a pitcher. And so a lot of these guys... They know him. He, he's he's a he's a he's a known quantity now. There's much less of of an X factor on Josh Hader. If I'm a batter stepping into the box against him, there's a book on Josh Hader. Now you play the okay. I know you. You know me. I know that you know me. So now, it, like you said, it's kind of on Josh Hader to all right. Year one, they didn't know who I was, and I blew him away. Year two, okay, I've got a resume. The book is out on me. They're adjusting. That's why I think next year is going to be really interesting. It, it is. The, how, how does he adjust to their adjustments? Right. You know? We talk about that with rookies a lot. You know, yeah. the rookie hitters, the league always adjusts to the rookie hitter. And then so the real test of a rookie hitter is how they adjust mm-hmm. back to the league. And I think that's something we've seen with Keston here already. The league, we've seen just little kind of lulls for Hira, and then he comes back up. I think Hira's done an incredible job on the fly of adjusting, and maybe Josh mm-hmm. Hader has not done as good of a job of adjusting on the fly. So next year, Knable comes back from with Tommy John, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, do, do you move Hader back to the role he was in last year, that high-leverage pitcher, not the closer? Do you put Knable in the closing spot? Is that a better move for your bullpen? See, next I year? felt like 
I like Josh Hader as a guy that you get multi-innings out of and you just get him when you get him, and he's not always going to be available. That's kind of how I would describe him last year. There weren't a lot of back-to-backs. You know, there were two paths for the Brewers last year to winning games. There was the path where you had Hader, and maybe he covered the last eight outs. You know, there was, I think there was a game last year where it was the eight outs and all strikeouts or whatever it was, and then there's days that Hader wasn't available, and you were going to go with Knable and Jeffress and some other combination. So I like the idea of, it seems like to me, Hader is more, his, Hader's, Hater's more impacted by not innings pitched, but times used, appearances. So I would rather see appearances lower, but longer appearances when he's in there that you just put a game on lockdown when he comes in. And hey, he might not be available for a couple days, and that's fine. And maybe that comes in the 6th yeah. and the 7th maybe, and the 8th, and then you have Knable or whomever you deem to be your closer next year. That's my thought. I don't. Well, look, that was the successful formula last year, right? right. I mean, Hader had a couple saves. He must have had a couple saves in 2018, right? Yeah. But he wasn't the closer. I mean, I, that's when he was most valuable, when, when Council could go to him in the sixth. If there was a big at bat, you know, uh, by um, fill in the blank, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Joey Votto in the seventh inning with the runners on. Maybe that's the game right there. Um, I think we've also learned when it comes to closing. Those three outs are just different. And I understand, in essence, it's just three of the, uh, you know, the, the, the 27 outs that, that you need. But there's just something different. Especially and I that, think, that 27th out. Yeah, right. That 27th out can be a, it can be a something. And, and, you know, Josh Hader is learning how to deal with success and failure. See, there's another element in play when you talk about the Hader progression. Learning how to be a closer, learning how to deal with failure. These are all things that, you know, hopefully maybe a year and even two years from now, we look back on and we go, man, yeah, 2019 was a little bit of a rough one for him, but he's better for it in the long run, I hope. Now, now about those bats. We're done, man. We're done. (laughs) That's it. That's it. He's Scott Worth. That's all. This is the social media conversation, which is so ironic because I have no Twitter uh, handle to give for Scott Worth. No, uh, as I like to say, you're welcome to follow me. Uh, just uh, keep your distance and peel off around nightfall because it gets real awkward if you're still following me when the sun's down. You can listen to him on WTMJ. He doesn't really do sports stuff, but he's fun to talk baseball mm. with. You you got into the Aaron Boone thing. We don't have time for this right now. <laughs> but you Aaron, got into the Aaron, Aaron Boone. Boone. Oh, it's it's nineteen to four. I don't want to use my uh, my my third string uh, center fielder. Uh, mercy rule. Just call, I mean, really, the mercy rule. Mercy rule. Thanks, Scott. Mercy rule. Mercy rule. I don't, I don't care one way or the other. Well, it's never going to happen. Right. Here's the thing. That it's people never gonna, I, 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 every it's ballpark never gonna... you go to, when they got like the, you know, the, the cap scramble in the eighth inning, guess what? That's sponsored. You're not walking <laughs> away from that, that money. That's an excellent yeah. point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You're, Major League Baseball is not walking away from what that money. What if it's money. 19 to 2 in the fifth? Do you still have to play to the seventh or eighth then? Yeah. <laughs> Beer sales. Thanks, Scott. You bet. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X-Trains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm. We welcome back on the podcast. He is the broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers, the AA affiliate of the Brewers. He is Garrett Green. Follow him on Twitter at Garrett underscore Green. Garrett is two R's and two T's. Green is G-R-E-E-N-E. Garrett, always good to talk to you. How are you? 
I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, I know that the uh, the name can be a little tricky with uh, with the E on the end and everything, but I appreciate the, the shout-out. I try and do what I can to put some content out there about the Shuckers every now and then. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great stuff, and I enjoy being able to uh, see what you do put out there on Twitter. Let's jump in. I'm going to ask you kind of the, the question that I think a lot of Brewers fans are most interested in, and quite honestly, I don't know if you're going to have much of an answer on this one, so we'll get it out of the way first. Uh, recently, Corbin Burns being sent down to Double I know he hasn't pitched with the team yet. I see on the roster page there's no number listed for him, so I don't even know if he's with the team yet. Uh, what's what's the latest? Let's let's start right there. Um, you know, to be honest, um, I I have not seen Corbin um, and have not been told anything about him. Uh, so right now he hasn't been here with the with the club, but I know he's on our roster. Uh, and that's about the extent of, of what I've got for you right now. Um, but, as you know, he's not slated to start at all for us, so I, I, I can't say that I feel very much about it. Hard question out of the way, all right? <laughs> Happy to help. Um, how much have you enjoyed seeing uh, a guy like Devin Williams, who has spent the, the vast majority of the season with you guys? He got a, he got just a, a quick taste of AAA before getting called up. How much have you enjoyed seeing him get that major league opportunity? Um, it's it's been great, uh, Devin. Look, we got a team full of hard workers, but especially for what Devin went through to to, to be in the you know the top one of the top prospects in the system, and then have a season derailed by by Tommy John, and then to come back um, and to see his growth really throughout the course of the season was. It was just a lot of fun, and for, for folks who might not know, I mean, you can look back at his game log, but uh, he started out the year for us as uh, a middle reliever, kind of a middle-long reliever. His first outing, he actually went three and a third for us, um, and that was kind of the role that he filled was kind of that five, six, seven guy. He pitched in the eighth every now and then, um, but as the, as the season went on, you, you saw that he was feeling more and more comfortable, the fastball velocity started amping up a little bit more, especially when he started making shorter outings. And then at the All-Star break, when Luke Barker was promoted up to AAA, um, the Shuckers have been working tandem closers with Nate Grief and Luke Barker. And so they were kind of looking for that second guy to, to fill that spot. And they threw Devin back there, and I, he performed as well as anybody you could have imagined. I think he made nine outings, ten innings, Three hits across all of it, uh, one walk, 17 strikeouts, got a win, four saves and four opportunities, and looked absolutely dominating. He was sitting 98. The slider had good movement. The changeup had good movement. He was keeping hitters off balance. Um, and, I, and I believe that Milwaukee gave him that opportunity. He ran with it, and they saw that they could use a guy who throws gas and can come in and pitch an inning or two out of the bullpen. and. I think he's performed really well. So to see him make that quick ascension from AA to AAA and then on to the big leagues was was just great this year. This is that time of the year where you're going to see some guys who spent some time at AA making their way to the big leagues. And another guy is Trent Grisham. He was with uh, he was with Biloxi until about mid-June uh, before he got the call of AAA. And now he's in the big leagues, and he has had – just a, a profound impact on the major league team. Kind of the same question. You saw a lot of him last year. How much have you enjoyed seeing what he's doing? Any surprise to what uh, he's done so far at the major league level? 
I am not surprised by what he's done at the major league level. But a year ago, if you would have asked me who was going to be the guy from 2018 or early 2019 that would have been in the big leagues, I don't know if I would have pegged Trent to have been that guy. He came out of camp and was really good, and and he was having great at bats through April and on into May, but just you know the average, I think it dipped down to about two twelve at one point here in Biloxi, but it wasn't that he was putting together bad at bats or, or anything like that. And a ton of credit, I know there's been a lot of coverage of him, so folks have heard a lot about his story. But a massive credit to him and our staff that when he was in what would be defined as a rut, if you were just looking at the numbers on the papers, he didn't panic. He stuck with exactly the things that he had changed in the offseason. And, and I've talked to my broadcast partner, Andrew, and a couple of other folks. We saw it click. We were in Mobile in late May, and from there on out, he's been the same player at Double AA, A, Triple A, and the major leagues, and he's a guy who looks like a 15th overall pick um, and is just bashing the ball. He's confident at the plate. He's got an incredible understanding of his strike zone. He plays really good defense. I don't think anybody's gotten to see. He's got a very strong arm. We saw him in right field last year, but um, he has the ability to throw guys out from right field, uh, cut down runners at third. And so for Chris to be up there, last season we didn't have this. We didn't have a lot of guys that went, first part of the year in double-A, short stint in triple-A to the majors. So to see it from this year's team has just been really exciting, and I know all the guys in the clubhouse are thrilled to see the results for both Trent and Devin. We'll talk more about some individual guys in a moment, but I'll just throw this at you. Are there any guys on the roster right now that you feel like are, are the best candidates to be on that fast track to the major league roster? You know, at this exact moment, I'm not sure that there's one of those guys that is on a, a speedy, fast track to get there. The the pick would probably be Drew Rasmussen, um, but I believe that, especially with the fact that he started throwing again in November, the Brewers aren't in any rush to get him up there. I think they're going to let him finish the season out here in Biloxi, and then they're going to see what they have in him uh, after an off season going into next year. Um, the guys who would be an impact at the major leagues are guys that we would have had earlier this season, um, and the likes of a Trey Shupak, uh, who I, I still think might get a shot at the big league level this year if, if the Brewers need a starter. Um, but at this point, I don't see a guy who would jump up there by the end of this season. It, it's not my call; it's the Brewers' call. But there's some guys who I, I believe will crop into the prospect rankings after the season that they've had, and I think could be contributors to the big league level of the next year or two that we've really seen develop this year. And it's, it's primarily been on the pitching staff and uh, the likes of, you know, Dylan File, who's been great, Alec Benger, who's been here all year, and then Bound Francis as well. I'm correct in saying the only top 30 player on the roster, according to the MLB Pipeline rankings, is Rasmussen, right? That is correct. He's the only guy who's a, a prospect that we have on our team. Uh, and and yet, this team's got 76 wins, which is, you know, the it was tied for the fifth most in all of minor league baseball coming into the day. 
Uh, Rasmussen has been a, a quick climb already. I think we were talking about about him when he was in Carolina. That if he was somebody who got off to a great start at Double A, maybe he could make his big league debut this year. I think you know pumping the brakes on that a little bit right now might be something that uh, is happening. He's got a just under a four ERA uh, with you guys, but I mean, look, he he began the season in Wisconsin, and then he got you know got one game there, four games at Carolina, and now he's kind of settled in uh, with the Shuckers, and the numbers for the most part are pretty solid, especially the 65 strikeouts to 24 walks. What have you really seen from him so far? You know, what we saw, and we had a, a great conversation with him. We did a, the, the Shucking Around podcast, and we had about a 25-minute interview with Drew, and um, talked to him about the transition that he made, because there was a spell there uh, in June where he got moved from the starting rotation to the bullpen. And if you take a look at his splits, that's where his ERA elevated this year. Um, and Drew is the kind of guy who he viewed that not as a failure, but as a learning opportunity. Um, he knows that he'll probably make a move to the bullpen again at some point in his career, and he'll be ready for it. But, um, you know, he sits... 97, 98 miles an hour right now. We've seen him work a curveball a little bit this season. He's got a, a good biting slider, a good changeup. He's just a, a ultra fierce competitor as well. Um, and it's it's a shame that right now he's on a he's on an innings at a pitch limit. You're not going to see him more throw more than three innings or more than 50 pitches, whichever one comes first. Which you completely understand for a guy who's coming back from a second Tommy John surgery. But I'm really excited to see what he's going to do next year, especially because I think that he'll probably end up back here at Double A to start the year, but as a stretched-out starter, and they might gradually move his innings back up, kind of like what you've seen out of Adrian Hauser over the last couple of years after he came off of Tommy John surgery. Um, and I'm I'm just excited to see what he can bring at that point. But I I would be shocked if he moved up any higher than this level for the remainder of the year. I'm looking at the numbers, especially from an offensive standpoint. The guy on the team who's played in the, you know, not counting um, someone who's just played in a handful of games, the player with the highest batting average who's been a legit guy and been in a lot of games this year um, has been Dylan Thomas, and he's sitting there with a, with a two sixty two batting average. And But you mentioned how many games are winning, and I know a lot of that's being done with pitching, but nobody's nobody's you know tearing the cover off the ball right now but you're doing enough offensively to win is this just a, is it a scenario right now with the team where it's a, an, a a different guy every night sort of thing it really is um you know you you take a, a look up and down the lineup and, and look bluntly across the entire southern league this year uh batting is down um coming into the day i think Collectively, as a team, the Shuckers are hitting 240. That was the fourth best batting average in the league. This isn't, uh, we're not using the triple A or the major league ball, and we're playing in ballparks that are hot, humid, and the ball doesn't fly out quite the same uh, as it does in some other places. Um, but, you know, Dylan Thomas has certainly, he's had multiple five RBI games throughout the course of the season. He's been a mainstay in the lineup. Uh, Weston Wilson has contributed. Cooper Hummel, uh, a switch hitting outfielder that we have, uh, you know, he's hit 17 home runs this year, and something like 12 of them have come in his last 32 games. He went on a power stretch. He had one night where he homered from both sides of the plate. CJ Hinojosa, um, who the Brewers got in the Eric Kratz trade, you know, he's hit safely in 14 or uh, 14 out of 16 teams now. 
in the month of August. He's on an eight-game hitting streak. He was on a seven-game hitting streak heading into the month. Um, so just all up and down the lineup, Patrick Leonard, who's unfortunately on the IL, um, was a big contributor as well throughout the course of the season. So yeah, it's it's a case where these guys just play really good team baseball, and you have guys who step up in big moments when you need them to, to find ways to win ball games. And I can't speak highly enough for what Mike Guerrero, Bob Malacky, Chucky Caulfield, Danny Santine, all of those guys do to have a winning culture here. Um, and and it's about player development, but it's about winning here. And and they blend the two together very well. Maybe I'm wrong on this, and feel free to tell me, but I, I feel like more often than not, when you see a minor league team with a really good record, but not a ton of top 30 level prospects, that there's you know veterans, guys who are maybe playing a level lower than they should be. I I look at this roster, and maybe there's a guy or two that fits that category, but I don't feel like that that's true across the board. Does that make how a do you agree with that? And b if you do agree with that, does it make how good this team has played this year even that much more impressive? I think that early on in the season, you could have made that that argument. Look, I think Patrick Leonard has been down here when he's he's a Triple A player. He spent the entire year at Triple A Charlotte last year in the White Sox organization. Had a very good season. Um, he's a major league first baseman um, defensively. He's committed one error all season. Uh, and this year, you saw him really shorten up his stroke and bring his batting average up. Bruce Caldwell's a guy who got AAA experience last year. He's been an everyday contributor. Um, you know, Hinojosa has been a double-A player for a couple of seasons. But other than that, these are guys who, you know, we've had plenty of guys that pushed up from high-A Carolina this year that have all contributed um, and, and a big piece of this. So I, I think that you could categorize that a little bit but to perhaps earlier in the season, but now I think everybody outside of a couple of guys is pretty much at this level um, because they're meant to be here and they they've really excelled at this level. Just the team just got done on a ten game winning streak. We're talking on Sunday night. The team losing on Saturday and Sunday, so I've lost a couple games in a row. But what was and I know we just talked about this a moment ago with so many different guys contributing and everything, but over the course of that 10-game hitting streak, what was the thing or what were the things that was really leading the team through that time period? You know, they they were scoring a lot of runs. They averaged a little more than six runs a game over that stretch. And extra base hits was the name of the game as well. Uh, Something like 24 doubles and 14 home runs with a pair of triples mixed in there. They were also walking a lot over that 10-game winning streak. They had the, the most walks in the league in that span, along with the most extra base hits. So while, while the pitching staff was doing their thing and I think holding down a you know a sub-2.5 ERA, the offense was also scoring somewhere in the realm of six runs a game. And the biggest piece of that was that any time that, you know, whether it was their game against the Tennessee Smokies or, or their games against the Mobile Bay Bears, which – Bluntly was a, also a slightly weaker stretch of the schedule. If you take a look at um, both of those teams and their records this year, they are not very good. There's not a lot of high-level prospect talent that's in either of those organizations right now at the AA level. Um, but, you know, it was any time that the Shuckers fell behind or they saw a response from a team to tie it up, they always found a way to answer almost immediately and jump right back out in front. So the bats finding a way to pick up the pitching staff and doing it with 
well-timed doubles, a couple of long balls all pieced together, and you look up and all of a sudden you got 10 wins in a row. One player that a lot of people are keeping an eye on, and he's not a prospect anymore, but previously was in Jake Gatewood. And he's had some issues staying healthy, but he's been playing now for a while. His numbers in 81 games, not especially good. He's got a 187 average, does have 13 home runs and 44 RBIs, so good to see a little bit of power. But what's the uh, what's the spin on him at this point? You know, I think that, Jake obviously had the ACL tear last year um, in July, and it was a shame that he went down when he did because at that point in the year, if you look at his July splits, he was really starting to piece together a special campaign. He had 19 doubles. He had 19 home runs. I think he was up in the in the mid-50s in his RBIs. This year, you know, the start of the season when he joined us in early May, trying to figure out double-A pitching again, and then I think just trying to find that swing. There are times where you'll see him get a little loopy with this swing, um, but there are other times where he's right on time, he's right on the ball, he stays within himself, he controls the zone, and I think that's the biggest thing for Jake. He knows that he has to control the strike zone and work on his pitch selection. And you'll see stretches where he's got great command of it. He went on a seven-game hitting streak recently, um, had multi-hit games and six out of eight for a little while there. Uh, but now he's in a stretch where I believe that he's over his last 13 after tonight uh, with something like six strikeouts mixed in there. So it's just ebbs and flows and you know, trying to, to get back into the groove of that swing that he had last season. Um, and, you know, it's... Like I've said to someone else who asked me about it, it's not like Jake wants to be hitting below 200 this season. And I know that he's he's working and, and coaching staff is working with him every day to try and get him there because the pop is there, the ability is there. He's got good athleticism on the diamond as well. Um, and I think that you know he's at third right now, but he also might be an answer to a power-hitting first baseman uh, for the Brewers because up and down the system right now, I mean, Matt, you tell me. You, you might know a little bit better than I do. I just can't think of anybody that the Brewers have in the pipeline right now for, for first um, to, to fill that role. No. Um, I mean, I guess Lucas Ersig could play there in a pinch. That's kind of the first name that pops up to me in terms of somebody on the mm. AAA roster. But I don't have the roster in front of me. Maybe I'm missing something off the top of my head. But, no, I think you're right in saying that. Yeah, so, I mean, I and again, I think that Jake, he's, he's playing at third. That's where he's been four, but I would not be surprised, and again, this is my personal opinion, if maybe the Brewers in the offseason said, hey, we want you over at first because then, you know, we can move you up to AAA if you show you can handle AA pitching next year with a, with a clean slate, and uh, that would give him his best avenue to the big leagues, in my opinion. That's, that's solely my opinion. One of my favorite guys on the team because he's a uh, he's a K State guy and I think we talk about him every time and uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan uh, in Nate Greep and he got a chance to go up to AAA for just a quick moment had one appearance went inning and two thirds gave up a hit and then got sent back down and he just continues to put up big numbers six and one one point eight six ERA twenty saves and twenty four opportunities against someone who's not doesn't have prospect status but my goodness you talk about someone who just keeps consistently putting up big numbers yeah i mean uh he's the grim griever for a reason and i think if you talk to the guys in wisconsin the guys in carolina and then obviously us here everybody knows what, what he brings to the table um but i also think that the brewers 
know what they have in him. They understand that he's a closer. He's got that mentality. He's got the ability. Um, so they have pushed some guys this year up in front of him to see if they have that ability when you push them up a level. Because I, I think that they believe that Nate's ready for that step when there's some availability up there. That's the other thing you have to think about, too, because we recently had John Olzak come back down to us as well from San Antonio, is that you, you take a look at the number of guys who are shuffling back and forth between Milwaukee and San Antonio, and there's not enough space for all of the guys that they have on their roster. So I think that instead of maybe pushing Nate up to AAA and him not getting as much of an opportunity to pitch, they leave him here. They let him get a chance to come in and close games, help the Shuckers continue winning, and get him those reps and that practice uh, to ultimately, hopefully, push him up to, to the AAA level next year. Um, I, who else should I be asking? Like, there's so many guys that have really good numbers, but again, it kind of goes back to the uh, lack of, of prospects. I, uh, let me ask you this: the question this way. Because you said earlier that there's going to be players on this team that you think when they kind of re-rack the, uh, the prospect list at the end of the year, there's going to be guys who end up on that list. Who are those guys on this team that you think may end up on there? You know, I think that Alec Bettinger certainly deserves a look there. Um, he didn't get a decision last night when he pitched on, on Saturday. That is seven innings, five hits, two runs, a couple of walks, five strikeouts. Um, he leads double A in strikeouts this year, uh, and he's in the top 15 in all of minor league baseball in strikeouts. Uh, his ERA is sitting right around 355. I, I looked at it today. He's gotten one win since the middle of June, but it hasn't been for a lack of trying. He's got at least six in each of his last five outings. He's a guy who um, has a very repeatable delivery. Everything comes out of his hand the same, and that's what makes him so tricky. And I think he's really had a breakout season this year um, at Double A. He wasn't expecting to be here. He, you know, made a couple of appearances at Carolina last year uh, at the end of the season, and that's where he was heading. And then, due to some injuries and other things like that, the opportunity to be at Double A came for him. And once the start of May rolled around, he clicked another gear, and it's all come into place for him. Um, and then the other name is Dylan File. Dylan was uh, an All Star in the Carolina League this year. He's moved up. Um, he's in, uh, both of those guys. Neither one of them is going to blow a 96 mile an hour fastball past you, but he can throw any of their pitches for strikes, and especially for Dylan, he can throw them at any time. He's got a big sweeping curveball that he throws, good command of it. He can throw it for strikes. He can throw his changeup for strikes. He throws a slider. He's a real cerebral guy. He understands swing planes and how to attack guys. Uh, and as a result, he's come up to double A. He's eight and one with a two four zero in something like thirteen appearances at double A now. I mean, he is just put him out there and rack him in for five or six, you know, one, two, three hit, maybe a run outings. But otherwise, um, he's he's been just absolutely phenomenal. He was one of my dark horse picks to win Brewers pitcher of the uh, minor league pitcher of the year before the season started because I saw him at Helena when he was a rookie in two thousand seventeen. Uh, and I think he's exceeded those expectations, and he'll certainly be one of the final guys in the running to, to maybe take home that honor this year. 
I'll finish you with this. At the beginning of the month, Brent Suter made a couple appearances with the team. Three innings, no hits, three strikeouts, only one walk. The numbers look really good. What did you take away from his performances? He looked really good. Um, he looked like a guy who's healthy. His fastball was sitting very nice. Um, had good command of his breaking stuff. It's always funny for major league guys when, when they're here on rehab. I compare it to when we saw Corey Knable last year. He came out for a rehab outing. Obviously, he was trying to work on his curveballs. So he went curveball, 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 all three of them for balls. Guys didn't swing. So then what does he do? He rears back and throws three straight 97-mile-an-hour fastballs to strike the guy out. Brent obviously was in a good spot when he came back. And the bump up to double-A, he was above the competition here, handled it appropriately. Um, and and it, it was just good to see him healthy um, because it didn't look like he was laboring any, struggling any. He looked like a guy who was just ready to go out and pitch again and was in good health while he was trying to do it. And a great presence in the clubhouse as well. Um, connected to that, when I was at AAA, and I know AAA now uses the same baseball as the major leagues, but when I was there, it was they were using the minor league baseball, and the AAA team would always keep a handful of major league baseballs available for rehab assignments. Same thing with you guys. Do you guys keep major league baseballs around for when somebody like a Brent Suter comes down? Yeah, no, we have a whole stock of Major League Baseballs, and one of the guys made a joke, Ryan Aguilar came up to us, and in his second game, it was his first start, uh, we had a Major League rehabber from Miami, Pablo Lopez, on the mound, uh, and Aguilar took him deep over the left field wall, uh, and the guys in the clubhouse were making the joke that it was, well, it was going to be a home run, but it was three-quarters of the way up the screen because it was a Major League ball, um, <laughs> and the way that those things fly. But no, we keep we keep a stash of them for when either we have a Major League Rehab guy or um, other teams might bring in Major League Rehabbers. I remember we were, uh, I was at Colorado Springs, so we had the Humidor, and there was a rehab for the other team. I think it was Reno, but I'm not sure. And they brought their own Major League Baseballs. They didn't ask to use the Sky Sox Major League Baseballs. So their Major League Baseballs had not been in the humidor, and their guy just got completely blown up, and it would have been better for them to use the Minor League Baseball than it would have been to use the Major League Baseball because of the uh, the lack of the humidor, which is kind of something funny when it yeah. comes to all that. It's crazy how it works like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, if, if folks want to take in your broadcast, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, if they want to listen in when we're on the road, you can just go to BiloxiCheckers.com, scroll down. There's a radio network. You can click on that. It's on TuneIn. Uh, it's on, you know, wherever you go to find the MILB. Um, we also post a link to listen to it every night for a game day graphic on our Twitter. You search for Biloxi Checkers. Um, and then when we're at home, you can watch on MILB.tv. We've got a great HD feed. Um, and... You know, that lets you see the guys who are pitching while you hear us when we're at home. So it's just MILB.TV. Um, and you use the code Shuckers and save 10 bucks on it, though. I think it's pretty cheap now at the end of the year. But you can tune in. We're going to be in the playoffs. And uh, the first two games, at least, are going to be at MGM Park. So we'll, we'll be on the home call for those on uh, September 4th and 5th. That's uh, a Wednesday and a Thursday that you can circle on your calendar. Great stuff. Uh, really appreciate the time, and we look forward to doing this again and uh, watching the playoff run for the team. Thank you so much for your time. You got it, Matt. Happy to help out, sir. Good luck with everything up there in Milwaukee. 
Garrett Green joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We mentioned this earlier, but we'll do it again as we do uh, wrap up the podcast here. This is what's going to be coming up over the next week or so. A very important schedule, uh, series of uh, the schedule, a very important uh, series of games going to be coming up uh, for the Brewers, starting with three in St. Louis. That series is going to begin on Monday. Zach Davies getting set to be activated off the injured list to start on Monday. That pushes everybody else back a day. So like a Gio Gonzalez gets an extra day. Adrian Hauser is going to wrap up that series. And then uh, they're home against Arizona for three where right now it would be Lyles, Anderson, and Davies to start those three games. As always, you can hear all the games uh, on WTMJ. Hopefully you uh, tune in to our post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings. It airs on WTMJ uh, following games. Now with Packers games coming up, uh, the Brewers are generally off on Thursday, and the Packers are playing a lot of Thursday preseason games, so this doesn't impact anything right in front of us. But if there is a Brewers game going and you tune into WTMJ and you hear the Packers, you can head to 94.5 ESPN to hear uh, the Brewers games. And uh, more often than not, we will still do the uh, Brewers Extra Needs post-game show uh, on uh, during those evenings. And if you are not in the WTMJ listening area, encourage you to uh, stream WTMJ at WTMJ.com using the WTMJ app, using TuneIn, uh, wherever you go. Uh, the digital rights to actual play-by-play broadcast are not controlled by radio stations. They are controlled by Major League Baseball. So that's why if you want to listen to uh, a game on a streaming device, you have to purchase uh, the uh, MLB Game Day audio subscription. So if the game, the network broadcast, you know, where you've got Bobby Uecker, Jeff Levering, or Lane Grindle, uh, if that is still going... You're not going to be able to hear that stream. I get asked this all the time because people think that uh, my post-game show is not being streamed. It is. It's just the streaming does not go back to being live until the network broadcast wraps up. So if you want to listen to the post-game show, want to hear reaction to uh, Brewers games, you can do that. You just uh, be uh, streaming the station, and as soon as the network broadcast wraps up, post-game show starts, Brewers Extra Innings, and uh, you can hear all that. All right, I want to say thank you again to my guest, Scott Warris, for joining us. also want to say thank you uh, to Garrett Green for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.